Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Good morning, everyone. I am so glad to be with you today. And thank you for bringing the rain. California, we don't see that very often, so it's a nice spectacle for us. And uh, we have so enjoyed being here with you. And as your pastor said, thank you to all the Ministry of Helps for what you did for us. Because what you do is different than what we do. But it's not less than what we do. And we appreciate that what you've done has provided and facilitated for what's been received in the services. So thank you so much. And to the pastors, thank you so much. I enjoy being with them and their precious couple. And for Dr. Jacobs, thank you so much for starting everything. The faith to do it. The faith to do it. And uh, how many of you know we've entered into the labors of another man? And what a fun flow that is. Amen. And uh, on, what was it, Friday night, Pastor uh, Jordan said so many wonderful things. I go, oh, my gosh. Is he talking about me? So sweet. And I, and I said, I know it sounded rude because I didn't really reciprocate much there that night, but we, we had a different flow that we needed to be in. But I, 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 it's certainly not to speak less of the love that I have for this family. And, you know, it matters to us who have been there. And this family has been there for us all along. And there's nothing like a covenant fellowship. Nothing like it. And uh, because you're not questioning someone, you're not questioning their intent or their motive because they have you in their, in their, well, they have you in mind. And so you're just safe around people like that. So uh, I love it here. It's a safe place for us. It's a, it's a safe place for God, for his plan to be, to be exalted. And so we just are thankful for this precious family, this company, this congregation. We've been together a long time and uh, we're just grateful for that privilege. Um, We have a few items back at the book table. We have some booklets back there that you can pick up. These are just free of charge, so pick them up. There's uh, some on In Him. This is a partial listing of who you are in Him. Find that out so that you will get rid of self-image issues. Self-image issues are just, uh, they they come up when people don't recognize who they are in him. And we don't want the devil to take advantage of you that way. Find out who you are. You can actually go to our website at deframeministries.org and we we typed out every in him scripture, every in Christ, by him, uh, by whom, all these. And uh, there's like 100 and almost 150 of them or so. And so you can just download it for free. So go there and download that. And I believe they're in the Amplified Translation because we, we like that it amplifies it. And so that's one of them. Then we have a book of prayers here. These are just some of the prayers that I pray uh, when I'm praying over different situations because you don't want to go in your prayer time and just float. You want to have direction, and uh, that way you'll bear fruit. And so we've had whole churches that all their people will get one of these, and they they bring it to their prayer group, and they said it's changed completely uh, how they pray as a congregation together so that you pray the word and you don't just pray your feelings. 
And uh, then we have a couple of books here on healing. One, just healing scriptures, and one, how to keep your healing. Uh, many of you would have been ministered to last night or maybe even Friday night. Uh, it's your job to hold fast to what you've received. And this, this instruction tells you how to do that because everything God's blessed you with, the devil is busy trying to steal it from you. And so you have to learn to hold fast to what has been made yours. And then uh, Pastor Ruby did a good job on her love. Uh, our car ride to Clarksville is going to be great now. No, I'm teasing. She's going to preach love to us all the way there. I get to hear love words between those two in the front seat. My Uber driver, he's my Uber driver. And she's my uh, Uber, we, we want to say navigator, but I don't know. I don't know. She can't always read it. I tell you, we have, we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun. We were, she, she was uh, looking at the navigation thing. She said to her, turn, turn, turn. Because on the screen, it showed a turn coming up. I said, but that's not our line, Pastor. We follow the blue line. Just because you see a corner doesn't mean we take it. So she sees a turn come up. She's a turn, turn, turn. No, 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 Pastor Noah, go straight, go straight. One pastor calls his wife. He says, he says it's not a navigator, it's a navigator. And but I would never say that about anybody in my car. And so Pastor Noel, they are, he's a fine Uber driver, but we're going to have us a good time because Pastor Ruby going to preach to us on this love. And uh, Dad Hagen, really what this is, I believe this is about eight different translations on 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, Dad Hagen, you know, he would, he would counsel ministers. And ministers would have marriage problems at times. And he would give them the 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, and he'd say, every morning before you get out of bed, you turn to each other and you say this. And before you go to bed at night, you turn to each other and you say this, I am patient. I am kind of not, you better be patient. You better be patient. <laughs> no, it's this direction. <laughs> And he would just assign them those verses because that's the cure-all. Love, love cures everything. In that flow of love, everything is answered. And so we invite you, go ahead and get those free of charge. And then you can go to our website and download those. If you'd rather have them on your device, you can download that for free. Then we have out there, of course, uh, the peace book, Living Free from Worry. This one is now at the printer. I did a, almost a, a, a large rewrite on this, which is going to be coming out soon. So you say, well, why would I get this one? Because I don't know when the other one's coming out. I don't know if you know, there's a, like a paper shortage with printers now. So what took three to five weeks is now taking four to six months on, on orders and stuff that we're, we're faced with. So you better get it while you can. You know. And then we have this one, Love the Great Quest. And um, love makes everything else work right. Makes your faith work right. It makes everything else work. Your finances are connected to your love walk. God said to me years ago when I was teaching on prosperity in our church, and uh, this was in the early uh, early time, the earlier years of uh, pioneering the church and, and preaching on prosperity, he said, you need to back up. 
I got up to preach on prosperity one morning. He said, you need to back up because he said, till you teach these people how to walk in love in their home, they don't qualify for Bible prosperity. Notice Bible prosperity. Now you can go out and by the sweat of your brow and you can get some measure of increase, but Bible prosperity doesn't live alone. It's connected to our faith. It's connected to our love walk. It's connected to our local church. It's connected to so many things. When you teach prosperity, it is not a singular subject. It is linked to every other arena of your life. And why? Because God is not making people rich. He's building a man. And in building the man, he can come into a prosperous flow. But God is interested in the whole. When God prospers us, every arena is elevated. God won't steal from one arena to enrich another arena. If we try to prosper ourselves, we have to steal from one arena to prosper ourselves. We'll steal from our church life. We'll steal from our faith life. We'll steal from our, our, our marriage. We'll steal from our home. Time and, and, and things that should have gone elsewhere. We, took, we stole that time and put it toward making money. Because anything we get for ourselves is going to rob us somewhere. So we want God, we want to, we want, we want to have God's prosperity because that's going to enrich every single arena. Then such an important book, Flowing with the Holy Spirit, Flowing with the Holy Spirit. I tell you, get hold of it because uh, it's not enough to be able to quote scriptures. The Holy Ghost will lead you on which ones to quote even. Too many times people just pick their favorite and start just slinging scriptures at their need. And they don't look for the help of the spirit that will direct them based on their measure of faith that day. So anyway, there's a lot to be said out there and we want you to get hold of it. Hallelujah. Um, I, uh, I wanted to start today with something. I refer, as you know, to Dad Hagen's visions often because they happen to him, but they happened for us. They happen for the body of Christ. And just because he's no longer here, uh, the light is still pertinent. And we still need to walk in the light of what Jesus gave this man of God. And um, so I want to refer to one of my favorite visions that he had that I like to read after um, is in, in his book called I Believe in Visions. He recorded, I believe, all of his major visions, not to mention ones he never recorded that he didn't consider major um, but in that book, there's one chapter called The Hospital Visitor. Yeah. And uh, that's one of my favorite that he tells because there's so much in that. And I wanted to have this morning, I wanted to start with just a, a snippet out of that vision uh, because this wasn't just speaking to him as a prophet, but it's speaking about the body of Christ. And so I wanted to read that to you and then we'll go that direction. Um, Dad Hagen was preaching in a church and I, he would have been, uh, um, I, it's in the 50s, so I would say he would have been maybe in his late 30s. And uh, he was preaching and there was a short wall that was um, around the platform. And he got in a preaching mode. He wasn't just teaching, he was preaching. So he went to jump back up on the platform. He was going to jump over that wall. You know, so he, he was feeling really sparky that day. And, 
And he had forgotten that a woman back then, you know, they didn't have all the recording options that we have today, and she brought her own recorder. And so she had put a brand new, one of those big recorders by the pulpit. And he went to jump over it and saw that he's going to land right in the middle of her recorder. And he says, oh, I didn't want to land in her recorder. So he said, I saw that in midair. And then I shifted my, my, my weight so I wouldn't land in that thing. And when I did, he said, I landed on my elbow. And, uh, you know, fell. he said, I mopped up, mopped up all the, the, the platform up there. And uh, he said, I thought I broke it. But he said, afterwards, I went to the hospital. And, uh, and they had told me that I just, I dislocated it. And he said, the doctor said, which is worse than a break because it takes longer to heal. All the muscles, everything is out of place. And so as he was on the way to the hospital, um, the Holy Ghost said to him and said, uh, don't worry about it said, your elbow's not broken, but don't worry about it, and I'll talk to you about it later. And he turned around, he said to those that were in the car, did you hear that? Because he said to him it was audible. He thought they all heard it. And so when he got to the hospital, the doctor said, no, it's not broken, it's dislocated, but we still have to put you out because you couldn't stand the pain of us putting it back into place. And so they kept him for a day or two just to observe him. Once they put him out, you know, they want to observe, make sure there's no ill effects from that. So he wasn't sick in any, in any way, you know, and he was just sitting up after they had reset everything. Uh, he was just sitting up in the hospital bed about 8.30 that night, and uh, he heard footsteps coming down the corridor. And he thought the nurse was coming. So he looked up, the, the door was partly ajar, and he looked up to see the nurse coming in. But when he looked up, it wasn't the nurse, it was Jesus that walked in, pulled up a chair next to his bed and sat down and talked to him for an hour and a half. And he began to talk to him about, he said, I told you in the car on the way over not to worry about it and uh, that I'd talk to you about it later. And he said, I commend you for not worrying. And Brother Hagin says, no, I haven't worried about it at all. And listen, what Jesus said to him in the car about not worrying, he said, don't even think about it. That's what it means to not worry. You're not even thinking about it. How do you know if you're worrying if you're thinking about it? So I, I firmly believe that it was a very vital what the Spirit of God said to him in the car, he says, don't worry about it. Why? I said it last night, worry closes the door to God. Right. Amen. If he's going to start worrying about this that happened to him, he wouldn't be in faith, and Jesus needed his faith so that he could come talk to him. Right. Amen. So he needed to make sure he did not slip into worry over that event, but he stayed in faith. So Jesus comes in and he commends him for not worrying. So evidently worrying played a role in whether Jesus could bring to him what he had for him. Um, so in the course of this, I just wanted to read one paragraph basically that Jesus said to him. Uh, because he, And Jesus was referring to this accident that he had had. He said, now you understand this, that my best is that my people never even be sick or have an accident. Right. Right. Now notice that, my best. Right. Then he makes this statement, but very few people ever 
live in my best. Now that's a sobering statement. It's not up to him whether we live in his best. It's up to us. And it's not up to the devil. The devil can't keep us from living in his best. Brother Copeland makes this statement often. He said, why do bad things happen to good people? He said, because good people make bad decisions. The devil can't do anything to us anytime he wants. Know that. The devil cannot do anything to us anytime he wants. We have to give place to him, open the door to him. So Jesus said to Dad Hagen, but very few people ever walk in my best. Now there's a number of, re- a number of reasons why. My people get sick, have accidents, have to go to the hospital, have to be operated on, and have to go to doctors. He said the number one reason is because most of them don't know what belongs to them. That's right. Amen. They don't know what belongs to them in Christ. Ignorance will rob from us. Remember what Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says. It says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Notice the devil isn't mentioned. Ignorance. The devil works through ignorance. He thrives on ignorance. He's counting on ignorance to work his plan. Because people who know forbid him. Right. Amen. People who are ignorant think that he's got a right to do something when he doesn't have a right. When they don't know what is theirs. So Jesus said to Dad Hagen, the number one reason people have accidents have operations, all these things is because number one, he said, most of them don't know what belongs to them. He said the number two reason is if they do know these truths, what truths of what belongs to him, so many of them are weak in faith. So what's that mean? They don't have the faith to become a partaker. Their faith is weak. So they don't partake of what they possess. I'm a weak cook. You can load my kitchen with all the supplies, the finest supplies, all the organic stuff, all the fancy stuff, and I would not know what to do with it even though I possess it because I'm weak in knowledge as a cook and I am not looking to strengthen that. I live by myself. I can, you know, it's fine. I'm fine. Uh, You say, do you ever get the urge to cook? Yes. And then I sit down and wait for that to pass. (laughs) No, I'm teasing. You can have everything that's yours and not be skillful with it. That's what faith does. It helps you to be skillful with what belongs to you. And Jesus said this is the number two reason that even if people know what belongs to them, they're, they're weak in faith. They don't know how to appropriate it or, or, or take advantage right. of what they know is theirs. And then he said the number three reason why these things happen to his people is because what he said to Dad Hagen, now this is why you're in the hospital, is because of disobedience. Wow. Disobedience opens the door for the devil. Yeah. Amen. I don't know about you, but I want God's best. When he yeah. said very few, 
of my people ever walk in my best. I don't want to be lumped up in that. I don't want to be. So that means, number one, I'm going to have to know who I am in Christ. Number two, I'm going to have to be skillful at being a partaker of all that he has made mine. Number three, I'm going to have to be obedient. Amen. In this church, you're being taught what's yours in Christ. So I'm not really going to take the time to visit that because you are well taught around here. But I want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, the number two reason, that we not be weak in faith. Because even though we can know what's ours, if we're weak in faith, we cannot enjoy what we know. Um, if we're to be strong in faith, one of the number one things we have to do is we have to think right. I cannot overemphasize this phrase of thinking right. People many times have faith problems because they don't think right. You understand? They don't think right. God can only work through right thinking. Amen. God can't work through wrong thinking. The devil works through wrong thinking. Why do you think there there is such an onslaught in our society against sound mind? I'm talking about just in what is moral, what's appropriate, what's honorable. All of this has to do not with faith, but with thinking. If you can distort how someone thinks, you weaken them. So the way we think will affect the way we believe. What we believe will affect what we say. What we say will affect what we do. And what we say and do affects what we receive. But it all begins with how we think. People think if I can just get more faith. Well, if you don't think right, uh, things don't land in you right. Faith truths won't land in you right. I, uh, I know one family raised in the same family, all the children. One person thinks right about money, but they don't have much. I'm talking about grown children. They don't have much. Another one has some, but they don't think right about money. But you get, then there's another one who thinks right about money and they have money. Right. Uh You get the two together. Yeah, it's good. You you have money, you don't think right. You talk, you think cheap. Right. Talk cheap. But you got money and you don't, you don't enjoy any of it because you think wrong. Every time you go to buy something, you live under guilt and condemnation because you spent something. What is that? Wrong thinking. So you can't even enjoy what you possess. Then there's other people who think right. They think right about money, but uh, they, uh, they don't know how, they don't know how to handle it. They overspend, you see, but you get right thinking and right possessions. Now you can be a blessing. I'm just talking about money, but that's true in every single arena. I said it's true in every arena. Um, what is right thinking? It's how God thinks. The thoughts of God, the word of God is right thinking. 
The word of God is the thoughts of God written down. He offers us his thoughts. When we feed on the word and we agree with those words, we take them in. We are agreeing with the mind of God. We are agreeing with heaven's wisdom. So we have to feed on the word to get right thinking. I made this reference last night. For the rest of your life, you're carrying your mind with you everywhere. You can't just take it off and leave it at home and have some, have some uh, relief from it. Everywhere you go, you go to bed with it, you wake up with it, you wake up in the middle of the night with it, so you might as well think right so you can enjoy life. Amen. So that means feeding on the Word to get the right thinking in place, not just the right believing, the right thinking in place. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about, uh, they were, they were on a ministry trip and they got a ticket, speeding ticket on the ministry with the ministry they worked for. They were running a ministry errand and they said, well, legally, the ministry has to pay that ticket. I said, maybe legally, but not morally. So what are you going to do? Are you going to live morally or are you going to live legally? Because legally, you can get an abortion. Legally, you can marry and just divorce it on a whim. Legally, you can do a lot of things. But morally, it's going to affect your... It's a reflection of your thinking. And God blesses you based on what your thought life will permit. Because your thought life will either open the door to God or close the door to God. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Amen. So what's the remedy for wrong thinking? The word of God. Amen. The word, our greatest defense against the devil is to think like God. The devil, is con- the devil can't work through right thinking. That's why he's constantly trying to in- interject wrong thoughts into your thought life. He's trying to get you to take on a wrong way of thinking. How many of you know offense is wrong thinking? Unforgiveness is wrong thinking. Bitterness is wrong thinking. All of these things are just wrong thinking. And they produce wrong believing. So many times people are just saying, I'm just trying to get, I'm just, you know, I'm just feeding my faith. Well, are you changing your thinking? Take the word and change your thinking. Amen. Amen. I said it last night. Any Christian who is in bondage is not in bondage to the devil. They're in bondage to an unrenewed mind. What's an unrenewed mind? Wrong thinking. Praise the Lord. Uh, Dad Hagen used to say this. He, he would say this to us. A Christ, uh, uh, the Christian's mind doesn't stay renewed any more than the hair stays combed. <laughs> Every day you've got to get up and put your hair back in place. And we can tell if you don't. <laughs> we can just look and go, hmm, you were rushed today. <laughs> right? Even so, with someone with a renewed mind, they don't have to listen long and they'll realize who put their mind back in place today and who didn't. 
times of transition are critical because that's the time people will start changing the way they think. There was, there was a precious minister at times taught in years ago, taught in some of Dad Hagen's crusades, strong in faith, strong uh, in the word. But he had a tragedy happen, and his son had an accident and died prematurely. He was about in his 50s when he died, and he was a pastor. And to reconcile this mentally, this minister started adopting different ways of thinking to try to reconcile. You don't have to reconcile something mentally. And he started changing the way he believed. And by the end of that, he was, by the, end, by the time he got through it, he said, long life hadn't been promised to us. We go, well, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but see, remember what, remember what Jesus said to his disciples? They, he said, uh, let's go to the other side. They all got in the boat to go to the other side. Why did they get in the boat? Because they believed they were going to reach the other side. He didn't, go, he didn't say, let's go halfway and sink. If he'd, go, if he'd have said, let's go halfway and sink, who's going to get in? <laughs> right? No, he said, let's go to the other side. So they all believed that they were going to get to the other side or they wouldn't have gotten in the boat. They're, some of them are fishermen. They, they, they're acquainted with boats and all this. They know what it means to get to the other side. But a storm comes up. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and Peter comes and wakes up Jesus with these precious words, Carest thou not? <laughs> you don't care. You don't care. Carest thou not that we perish? Now, why did he start with these words, carest thou not? We're worried. We're panicked. We're doing something, and you're resting. You're not acting like us. You're not acting like us because you don't care. You're not crying like we're crying because you don't care. You're not running down to the hospital like we're running down because you don't care. You're not, you see, people who think a certain way, if you don't act like them at a time of emergency, they'll accuse you of not caring when it's really you know too much to act like that. He knew too much to get up and start panicking. But this is what Peter did. In a panic, he goes and wakes Jesus up. Carest thou not? Those are pretty bold words, Peter. You're in line for a rebuke. Just brace yourself, it's coming. Carest thou not? Look at the next words. That we perish. Ah, before they were going to the other side, who told him he was perishing? Who told him? Who told him? Circumstances elevated. Circumstances started pushing on what they felt and on what they saw, and they changed what they believed. Why? Because they changed how they thought. They should have said, Jesus said we're going to the other side. We're not going to, we're not going, this boat isn't going to sink. It can't. You see, times of transition... When something happens in your life notable, guard your thought life. Because that's the time your thought life is most susceptible 
to wrong thoughts. And the devil is there to, if I could say this, offer you wrong thought after wrong thought after wrong thought. Because if he can get you thinking wrong, he'll injure your faith. And it, it will affect how you can conduct business with heaven. Because we conduct business with God based on one thing, our faith in the word. Amen. So Jesus got up and spoke to the storm. Why did Jesus stay asleep with that storm going? Because he had already authorized them. Remember, he'd send them out, lay hands on the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. He had already authorized them. He expected them to do something, but because they thought wrong. They did not exercise their authority by faith. Why? Because wrong thinking affected their faith. They doubted it would obey them. Your faith is directly connected to your thought life. Guard your thought life to guard your faith. The devil's after your faith. He's after your faith. He wants to interrupt your business with God. And you can only conduct business with God on the basis of faith. And he tries to constantly accuse you, accuse others to you, accuse all kinds of things, accuse the word, accuse God of failing you, of not bailing you out, of not helping out when it was the thief that came to steal, kill, and destroy. And the devil wants to pervert your thinking into turning God as the bad guy. Um, God prepares each and every one of us based on what we're called to. That's why he will deal with different people differently. He will put different demands on different people than on you. Now, we know this. The word is his basis for everyone. So he expects us all to walk in the light of the word. But God will take different ones through different Really uh, specific training with, you know, Peter, James, and John. Those were spoken of as the three that Jesus took extra time with out of all the disciples. He would take them into certain settings that he didn't take the other nine. Why? Based on their call, not based on preference, not based on favoritism. It's not that he loved them more. He knew that their, their call was going to require something uh, more intense because of the leading positions they would have in the body of Christ. He still does that today. Based on what every single one of us are called to something, not called to fivefold office, but every single one of us are called to something. You're born for a purpose. For, and there's a plan, and God calls you to that, and he will equip you and train you for that. I remember when Ed and I first got married, and I was around um, a lot of ministers. Those were precious times for me. But God was, if I could say this, and be, I, I felt very behind. You can understand. Ed had already been in the ministry almost 20 years when I married him because the 20-year age difference that there was between us. But not only that, I'd only been saved and filled with the Holy Ghost like two years when I married him. So I was a baby Christian. 
And um, so there was a real demand put on me to accelerate because I felt that distance. I felt my immaturity compared to him. And I felt like that cowboy that was tied to the horse and the horse was running and I was just dragging behind it. That's the way I felt spiritually. I'm trying to catch up, but I can't even find my feet. And so because of not only God needing to accelerate me, but just because of who I had, who I was around, I could not handle myself the way others handled themselves. What was permissible for one was not permissible for me because God was preparing me for something different. And like he's preparing you for something different than another person. Um, I love this, what Dr. Summerall said. He said, you may, but I may not. Meaning just because you, God permits you doesn't mean God permits me. I can't live by what God permits of you. I can only live by what God permits of me. You might be permitted to watch that, but I can't watch that. You might be permitted to go to that place. I can't go to that place. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm saying for me and what God's preparing me for, I can't. It's like, it's like someone who is playing, um, you know, they're playing high school football compared to an, an Olympian. This, because of the level that you're at, there's different demands put on you. When you were in, let's say, let's say a track runner in high school, he could get by with hanging out until two or three o'clock in the morning with his buddies. At the Olympics, we, that's gone. What buddies? You don't got buddies. That's good. You, you got gold mine. You're, you're thinking gold. You're not thinking, where are my buddies tonight? You don't have buddies. You see, it's all based on where you're headed as to how God handles you. And there are times when you feel like he's putting a press on you. Why? Because he's got to get us into the place where he can advance us into what we're born for. And I remember God just... I've just gone through seasons of rebuke and correction and by God. I know what that's like. It just seems like one, every, one right after, just one right after the other. And I remember sitting around the dinner table. I'd listen to a pastor's wife say something, maybe say something to her husband or say something in conversation. I go, oh, my geez, how'd she get by with that? If I said that, God would take me to the woodshed. <laughs> You know what I mean by that? That's why you don't judge other people because God's not preparing them for your place. God's preparing you for your place. And he'll put demands on you. And you can't say, well, it's okay for them. Just because others may doesn't mean you may. So I saw that, that I didn't get wrong thinking about the correction of God. Because when God corrects you, the devil is there to accuse God of being harsh and mm, all this. And why doesn't he do this for you? Or He's always trying to undermine the credibility of God in your own estimation. Why didn't God pay off that bill the way you thought? Why didn't that happen? Why did, why did God permit this? Why did God permit that? When it's not God permitting or, or, or forbidding anything, it's us and our authority. 
And the devil wants to constantly accuse God to you. He wants to get you thinking wrong. Why? Because if you think wrong toward God, your faith won't work right. Now, I'll tell you how I got to thinking wrong. Well, let, before I tell that one, let me tell this. For example, you have, to, you have to pay attention to your thought life. Pay attention. Don't just let your mind float anywhere. Because you're going to arrive somewhere. Every thought will lead to something. Every thought leads you somewhere. Make sure it's where you want to go. Pay attention to your thought life. An undisciplined thought life will ruin your life. An, un, an undisciplined thought life can ruin your life with even with the greater one in you. Um, I remember, oh, my, maybe about 15 years before Ed went home to be, maybe 20 years before Ed went home to be with the Lord. We'd been married almost 30 years at his home going. And... Um, there came a thought, to, and I don't even remember what it was, something just critical toward my husband. But see, I pay attention to my thought life. I go, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. I, I, don't, I don't let that stuff in me. I don't let it. And so I know how not to uh, follow a thought. And you, how do you not follow a thought? You answer it with what the Word says. You tell it no. If you're going to be strong in faith, you not only have to know how to talk to God, you'd better know how to talk to the devil. So a a couple of weeks later, another like thought against my husband came. And I go, oh, no, I'm not taking that. And then about a few weeks later, I remember where we were. We were in a church in Ohio. Ed had gotten up to preach, and he just took the pulpit, and the moment he did, there was just a bombardment of thoughts that came against my husband to me. And I said, God, what is that? Learn this. Not every thought that comes to you comes from you. It's not your thinking. It's thoughts offered you. And I said, God, what is that? He said, that's the same spirit that broke up his first marriage trying to break up his second marriage. And I said, oh, no, we don't play. We ain't playing with this. What's it trying to do? It didn't come after my faith. It came after my thinking. Because my thinking will undo my faith. Why? The devil does not have access to my faith. You want to know why? My faith is in my spirit. He's got no access to my spirit. He's got access to the mind. He's got access to the thought life. And he'll just plant a seed. He'll plant a thought that you would take or I would take that would turn it, we will turn it in upon our own faith. So that's why the devil's after your thought life. That's why we all have to be skillful with a thought life, recognizing wrong thoughts, recognizing a thought of fear, recognizing a thought of doubt, recognizing a thought of offense, recognizing an accusation against God. The devil wants to get you into the thinking that accuses God of all the harmful, hurtful, difficult things 
that came. This, this, it's a poor example here, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Matador. <laughs> Matador. There's a bull. The matador's after to get him, right? In this illustration, you're the bull. Okay, I'm the bull. We're the bull. The matador is the devil. He holds something up. Why? So that you don't charge him, you charge this. You go after this. And it's not a cloth. It's your spouse holds him up. Your boss holds it up. Your job holds it up. Your pastor holds it up. Your local church holds it up. Your department leader holds it up. Why? So you charge that. And you go to charge it. Why? Because you think that's your problem. You think that's my problem. There we go. And you go to charge that because you think if I can just get rid of that person out of my life, my life will be peaceful. And you tear up a relationship getting that thing out of your life. And what happens to this? Flip. You've ruined that relationship. Now you're over it this relationship being held out. Yeah. And the devil will spend his whole life through your thought life. Wow. Choo, choo, yep. Flipping anything he wants you to wreck yeah. before you. Wow. He can't wreck it. Yeah. You're the only one that can wreck it. Yeah. He's got to get you thinking that this is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Wrong thinking. Good. How many people have gotten out of a marriage because they thought their spouse, if that wasn't in place anymore, they could be happy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Don't misunderstand me. God can put two people together, but you do the wrong thing in the right place and have to be removed. Yeah. God put Adam in that garden. God did that. Did God make a mistake? No, Adam did the wrong thing in the right place, and God removed him from where he put him. Why? He thought wrong. Now, if we could just tell every believer, when you see something hanging up over here, that offense offered you, that person, that unforgiveness, that how somebody did me wrong, my relatives of how they treated me, and that lack of money and how they cheated money out of me, and all this, if you could just tell them, don't go after the cloth again. Because every time you charge that cloth, what happens with the matador? He drives a sword into that bull and weakens him. And you've seen pictures or even videos of that, and that bull is running. He's got three or four swords in his shoulder blades running after the thing that is trapping him. And every time he runs toward it, it doesn't hurt the matador. The bull gets another sword driven in, another wrong way of thinking driven in. 
because we're charging the wrong thing. The devil wants to get you into wrong thinking. And if I could say to every believer, quit charging after what the devil's holding up in your thought life. Move over two feet and get the dude holding the cloth. Why does he hold this up? So that you leave him alone. You let him just keep working and accusing and making a wreck in your home and making a wreck in your mind, a wreck in your health, a wreck in your relationships. And they never hit the real problem. People are not our problem. And if you think people are your problem, you're in wrong thinking. Don't misunderstand me. The devil uses people, but he's holding them up as the problem when he's the problem. Jesus preached one sermon to the multitudes. On this one occasion, he preached a sermon. Now, you understand these are multitudes who had had bodies healed, limbs grown back out, eyesight come back, hearing come back, paralysis gone, tumors disappear, some raised from the dead. You understand what comprised his multitudes? Miracle people. People who had received miracles, peoples whose lives were changed by this one man. He got up and preached one thing they didn't understand. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you got no part of me. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear this? And they picked up and left. Every single, the Bible says the multitudes quit following him that day. He turns around in a service. They left, they walked out on his sermon. He turns around, you know who's left? Twelve. And one of them's a liar. (laughs) The one that should have left didn't. Why? Because all the money's not gone and he's there for money. He turns around, I love it. He turns around and says, won't y'all go on too? If we're going to have an exodus, everybody that thinks wrong, go. But Peter had right thinking. He had wrong thinking at other times, but this time when it mattered, he had right thinking. He said, if we leave you, where do we go? You have the words of life. Meaning there are going to be things you don't understand, but you better not be stupid enough to pick up your life and leave just because you don't understand it. And thank God Peter didn't pick up and leave. Why? Wrong thinking caused an entire multitude to walk away from the miracle. They would rather go back to their old life. And that's what one translation says. They left him and returned to their old associations. They were willing just because they didn't agree with something to go back to what they had been delivered out of because they never changed the way they thought. You can get a miracle and still not have right thinking. And if you don't correct that thinking... Your, your miracle will be robbed from you. 
People think it's all a faith issue. It begins in your thought life. Your mind is the gateway to your spirit. If your mind says no, it doesn't get in your spirit. You understand that? If your mind says no to something you hear, your heart will not receive it because your mind won't let it in. You know this, the salvation message was preached to many people before they ever said yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And many times people said no, not now, no, not interested, no, don't want it. Right. What was it? Even though God has eternal life for our spirits, if the mind says no, it can't get in. That's right. I tell you, right thinking and wrong thinking is everything. Yeah. And we have to feed on the word to get our thinking right. Because some of us grew up in twisted homes with twisted instruction, twisted problems, twisted circumstances. It doesn't matter how you grew up. The word offers you right thinking. You do not have to be robbed from for the rest of your life just because of the way you were raised. The word of God makes everything right. There is this thing, though, you have to be teachable. You have to realize, I don't know it all. I need, and listen, I'm looking for change every day. God, change something in the way I think. Because if I change my thinking, my believing will have the brakes taken off of it. You can have faith in your heart, but wrong thinking is like an emergency brake, not letting it go anywhere. Okay, now I'm going to tell you what about my wrong thinking. I'd like to talk about your wrong thinking, but I don't know your wrong thinking, so I'll just have to tell off on myself. Um, remember I said that God trains you and deals with you based on what you're born for. His word is his guideline for all of his children. He expects that of all of his children, but there are specific things that will be in line with his word that he will emphasize with you that he might not emphasize with someone else. And that's why you can't say, well, they get to. You cannot do that. So um, at times of transition, as I said, there's times of transition when things are real up in the air in your life, right? So there are times when... um, I would go through seasons of correction by God. I don't know if you've ever had that or you know what I'm talking about. It's like for like months, it seems like he's just holding before you. Get this change. Get this change. Put your foot to that. Quit permitting that. Quit lying. And it's not accusational and there's no condemnation with it. You don't feel pushed down. You just know that God's correcting you. And you know what? It's a flow of his love. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. So don't get offended at correction. It shows ignorance. And so I, I got to the point to where I don't have a problem forgiving other people. Uh-huh. You want to know why? I really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I've never really cared too much what people thought about me. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of born with that bend, yeah. you know. I just don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't. Now, as a child, that kind of hurt me in my house because I didn't care what my parents thought. So that got me lots of trouble. (laughs) Because I needed to care that my parents were pleased. Mm -hmm. 
that needs to matter to you, that your parents are pleased. But it got me in trouble because I didn't care. I don't care. You've heard me. I am the founder and the charter member of the a club I started. It's called the I Don't Give a Royal Rip Club. <laughs> that serves you great in pastoring because when people say, I'm leaving the church, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not, it's not that I'm unfeeling toward people. It's just that I don't measure my call based on your presence. I don't start questioning, maybe God didn't call me because you didn't show up. No. You you didn't save me, so, you know, that's kind of, I just, I don't don't dogpile on myself based on what other people do. I I deal enough with myself without taking your dealings, you know. So I've never really had a problem forgiving other people who said wrong or did wrong because I just refuse to notice it. I refuse to notice it. I refuse to meditate and entertain what somebody said or thought about me. You know, it doesn't mean I'm uncaring or I'm cold. It just means, well, I'm part, I'm a club member. So, (laughs) and then there's others, you know, I've got other relatives, they're people pleasers and it matters to them. And that's not a negative, but it, they have to get past what other people think about them sometimes. And everybody's got to get their thing dealt. Everybody got a thing. Everybody got a thing. Everybody's got a thing. So don't act like you ain't got a thing. You got a thing. You say, what is that thing? You only know what your thing is. I don't know. <laughs> but so I don't really have a problem forgiving other people. I've had a problem forgiving myself. I have to pay attention to that. Because I can be hard on myself because I, I love God and I want him pleased and I don't want to miss it. Right. And if I miss it, I can beat myself up pretty good. Right. But I still have to work on that because I can't have ought against any if my faith is going to work. Wow. And I'm included in that any. In Mark 11, 23, 24, remember our, our faith scriptures that right. tell us how to get our faith working, right. how faith operates. Mm-hmm. Verse 24, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have them. And verse 25, if you have ought against any, yes. any, you're included in that any. Yes. If you have ought against yourself, if you won't forgive yourself, yeah. your faith won't work. So that's what I have to deal with with myself is that I'm quick to dogpile on myself. So if God corrects me on something, I go, I know, I I know. You've dealt with me about that a long time, and I just haven't gotten on top of it. I know. And I'm not talking about some deep, dark sin. I'm not out running the streets on Friday night. Don't worry about that. (laughs) I'm just talking about inward things. Yes. You know, the things of your own character and, you know, just your own disciplines and things like that. And so I I said to God, you know, when I go through those seasons when it's correction after correction after correction, he's warranted. I mean, he's completely right in dealing with that. 
And as, uh, as him as my father, I'd rather him, the one who loves me, deal with me than the devil who hates me. But what was happening to me was that every time I would sense his anointing, I'd flinch inwardly. What, what did I do wrong now? What did I do wrong now? Because I know, I know the, the, the problem's on my side. And I would sense that when he, anytime I would sense his anointing in that season of correction, he would say, change this, address this, change this. So when I would sense that anointing, I'd just automatically start waiting. I'd wait for the other shoe to fall. You know what that means? I don't even know how to describe it if you don't know what it means. You just know something else is coming because. And so I. When his anointing, his presence, I, I, I do this instead of do this. What am I doing? I'm guarding. I know I haven't made the changes yet. Wait a minute. Give me more time. I hope I'm not whistling Dixie up here all by myself singing a solo. But you know what I'm talking about, about flinching. I, I know, God, I haven't gotten to that yet. I, I need to. So I would do this when he would show up instead of this. And one day, God corrected me. (laughs) But this correction, I got it. I got it. He said, when have I ever been anything but good to you? No time. You've only ever been good to me. Even in correction. You know, if, if you're drowning and someone throws you that life ring and they hit you in the head when they throw it, you'd be real stupid to say, why'd you hit me in the head? I'm not taking it, then just drown. If I'm drowning, hit me in the head so I know that it's within my reach. I don't want God, I don't, what, let me ask you, if you're drowning, what good is a life ring that someone threw over there 20 feet? You're, You're drowning, you can't get over to it. You need it to hit you in the head so that you have to do no more struggling to be rescued. Right? And some of the times the corrections from God, it feels like it's hitting you in the head because he knows it's within reach now. He's not hurting you. He's not injuring you. He's putting everything within your reach easily so you can know exactly what he's talking about so that he can promote you, not so that he can push you under. God never corrects you so that he can push you down. He corrects you because he has promotion for you. And the correction is what would cause you to stumble if he promoted you. So he wants you to correct that before the promotion so that you got nothing to trip you up as you go into the next thing he has for you. Does that make sense? He's not showing you what's wrong with you so that he can hold you back. It's so he can move you forward. 
But see, wrong thinking is, Uh and a bad self-image just takes it and beats yourself up with. What you know is wrong with you and what God's dealing with you about, because for the rest of your life, God is going to be dealing with you about something. And if you say, God's not dealing with me about anything, you're not listening. Because he is bringing us all into the fullness of the stature of Christ. And none of us have arrived yet. That means he's so faithful to keep dealing with us. And that's a love flow. That's not an accusational flow, a condemnation flow. So God said to me, when have I ever been anything but good to you? And I go, I know. I know I'm responding wrong. I know that anytime I sense that anointing, and I'm talking about personally, privately, I know I... I do this because I know I have not corrected everything that needs to be corrected. I'm working on things. And I, I, I'm doing this as a safeguard. And he said, against who? The good one? That's why he said, when have I ever been anything but good? What have I ever done to you that causes you to respond to me this way? As though I've ever violated you. Then he said this to me. He said, you're doing exactly what Adam and Eve did. And he said, after they sinned, they, they sat and conversed with the serpent. They listened to him and obeyed him. Why did they obey him? Because they listened. They stayed in proximity and just kept listening to him. And then they ended up obeying him. And he said, in that sin, that fallen nature, when my presence came, Because remember, he would come down in the cool of the day and he would fellowship with them. And he said, after they had sinned, when I came to have fellowship, they weren't available. They hid themselves. And he said, let me ask you this. He said, when was I ever bad to them? I said, you were never bad to them. I said, they... They missed it, so they hid from you. He said, the reason they hid was not because of how I had treated them. Because he'd never done anything that made it their their thinking to be, we need to hide from him. He had never done anything. He said, the reason they hid is because who they had been listening to. And it messed up their thinking. And they started treating me as one worthy of hiding from, but they never hid from the devil. They hid from me. And he said, when you flinch, it's because you've been listening to the wrong thing. I said, yeah. Whether it's thoughts of guilt, I should be, be, I should be further along, I, all these things. And he said, I am never anything but good. And he said, let me tell you the proper response to me 
He said, anytime my presence comes, even if there's correction in it, you should run toward that correction. Not draw back and protect yourself. Because he said, nothing I do to correct you will injure you. What is it? Wrong thinking. Why do people, when they miss God and they sin and they do the wrong thing, quit coming to church? Wrong thinking. It's not a faith issue. Wrong thinking. This is how God treats someone. Look at the prodigal son. He did wrong wasted his inheritance, and he said, I will go back to my father's house. And when he just got within eye view, he was nowhere near his father, but he got within eye view. Why? The father's watching for him. Every day watching for him. And he sees him, and he takes off running toward him. What would you think if the prodigal son backed up and went the other direction? Anytime we miss it, God runs toward us with forgiveness, with help, and for us to back up and just feel bad, go into guilt, go into condemnation, we're accusing the one who's offering us the help we need. Wrong and right thinking. The devil wants to get you thinking that God's mad at you, that he's after you, that you've messed up so far, you cannot have something. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. Remember what I said last night? The blood of Jesus puts it back as though you never missed it. The blood of Jesus cleanses the record. It makes it as though you never missed it. And since you never missed it, how bold would you be? In God's presence, how bold would you be? Anytime, anytime, God corrects me. I say, thank you for being good to me. I don't do this anymore. I don't draw back and... I don't, I don't know how to say it any, any way other than... I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Wrong thinking. Let me tell you what the devil's after. He's after your faith, absolutely. But can I tell you what he's after, really, is your enjoyment of God. He wants to break down your fellowship with God. Because if he can break down your fellowship, faith quits growing. Faith is your relationship, your fellowship with God. Listening to him. Hearing him. Believing him. Taking in what he says. The devil hates your fellowship with God. Because if he can interrupt your fellowship with God, he can get everything else from you. That's right. Yes. You're right. When things go wrong in your life, he wants to accuse God didn't do enough for you. God did not but come through when it's Satan who steals, kills, and destroys. You know, you, if you're not careful, you can... Uh, You can start saying God owes me something because of something I've done for him. God's made all good things ours. There's nothing more he's got to give us. He's given it all. 
everything is ours. I could have copped into wrong thinking. God, how, how could you not intervene and stop my husband from having that accident? See, that's wrong thinking. That's wrong thinking. Why? Because God tried to intervene. In many ways. Why? Because God will not sit back and watch his children go in a direction that will bring harm and him not try to do something. Even if you don't know what he tried to do, he tried to do something. People say God can do anything he wants. That's a lie. It's a lie. He doesn't have the same authority here. Why did Jesus, if he could do anything he wanted, why did Jesus pray, Father, your will be done on earth? as it is in heaven. Right. Why, do you have to act, why did he have to invite that? Because God can't do that unless someone invites him to. That's right. Amen. The Bible says the heavens is the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the children of men. Yes. You're right. If we're not going to listen to him, he can't help us. I had a, a couple, a, a man was going to leave his wife for no reason. He had no reason. Other, no reason other than an unrestrained thought life. He had an undisciplined thought life and started and wanted out of his marriage, leave his children, everything. So he came in and talked to me. They came in and talked to me, and I started dealing with him based on the word, and he says, well, I want out. And I says, well, see, I can't help you because I don't have a different Bible for you. If you don't value what God says... I got nothing else to help you. Yeah. If we don't value what God says, what's he got, what else has he got to help us with? You don't know what was in the heart of another man that God dealt with them about. You don't know. I don't know what God might have said or might not have said to my husband. I don't know. I don't know. Not my business. It is not my job to answer what the dealings were between a man and God. It's not your job to answer the dealings between another person and God. But I know this, God is faithful. God has dealt with men. God has done everything he could to rescue every single one of us from going the wrong direction. And to accuse him of not doing enough is to show who you've been listening to. It's an unrestrained thought life. I would not let my mind even touch into with my husband's premature death. I would not even let it touch into any accusation against God. Why? Because those accusations are trying to get you to doubt his character. And I've learned long ago, I learned long ago, if you start wondering why something happened to someone else, it'll injure your faith. Don't you touch it. I was talking to somebody Recently, and they said, well, if this person that I know, they're doing everything they can to believe God. And if, if, if it doesn't turn out well for them, he said, I'm just going to have problems with God. And I said, so you're telling me this, that, that, that miracles and healings and answers to prayer are earned? Because they're a good person. God owes them. God has provided everything. It's all up to us, our ability to lay hold of it. Wrong thinking will let go of what God's provided. Right thinking will hold on and won't let go. Well, praise the Lord.
right thinking, wrong thinking. Yes. Your faith is connected to how you think. Yes. Can I tell you this? There's no faith in your mind. Yep. There's not an ounce of faith in your mind. There's not an ounce of faith. All your faith is in your spirit. The devil doesn't have access to your spirit. You do. What the devil has access to is your mind. The mind is that battleground. And if he can get you thinking wrong, he will take that wrong thinking and injure your faith with wrong thinking. It's not the way to, the way to guard your faith is guard your thought life. Amen. The way to have strong faith is think right. You have to renew your mind with the Word of God. Right. And that's what we're doing in this church, right? That's yes. why we come to church. Oh, yeah. yes. But do you know sermons don't renew your mind? Mm-mm. The pastor doesn't renew your mind. You know what renews the mind? Doing what you're taught. Doing yes. it. Doing it. Confessing it. Just because you can confess a scripture, that doesn't mean your mind's renewed. Yes. Your mi- our minds are only renewed when what the Word says is being lived in our daily lives. That's the renewed mind. That's the renewed mind. Be not conformed. Romans 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you see all the healing lines and the different ones we ministered to last night? You know what that does? That blesses people. Healing power comes. But can I tell you this? None of them are transformed by that. That's right. A healing line will not transform anyone. It's only the renewing of the mind that transforms. If people do not renew their minds, take on God. Renewing the mind means taking on God's way of thinking. Thinking like God. Thinking in line with His Word. Anything that's not in line with the Word, you, re, you reject it, you forbid it, and you answer it. And you say, I'm not taking that thought. That's not my thought. People who don't renew their minds, they can get born again and their life will look like it did before they were saved. For the rest of their life, until they renew their minds. With my children, they didn't just get to hang out with people that are Christians. We need to be renewing our minds. That's the transform life. Why do some Christians get born again? You can't tell it. They still fuss and fight in their marriage. They argue. They don't tithe. They don't serve. They come to church periodically. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Wrong thinking. Yeah. Doesn't mean they don't love God. They never transformed the life through taking on God's way of thinking. There's no faith in your mind. Your mind is not built to conduct faith. Your mind is to be brought into agreement. With the word of God. Your mind cannot believe, but it can agree. It can agree with the faith that's in your heart. And that's what a renewed mind does. It agrees with the faith in your heart instead of argues with the faith that's in your heart. Have you, has your heart ever said, I'm, I want, I, from here I want to do something? Your mind says, no, you can't do that. That's an unrenewed mind that will stop the faith in your heart. I tell you what. Right thinking and wrong thinking is everything. But I know this, God is good, and he's helping us all. Amen. Amen. He gives us his word so that we can have his way of thinking. How about we take it? We take it. Amen. Father, we thank you today. It's been a privilege, Father, to share these things.
with these precious people. We're so grateful for their supply. But Father, we're so thankful that you're still working on us. We rejoice and delight in all that you're doing in us and for us and through us. And we say we agree with it, Father. It's a joy to learn. It's a joy to come into agreement with your word. We thank you, Father, for working your plan in our life. We're hungry for your plan for our life. We're hungry for it. And we thank you, Father, that your, your plan gives us the best life. And as we read at the first, Jesus, you said there's very few that ever live in your best. Well, you found a congregation we choose to live in your best. That means that we're going to not only find out who we are in Christ, but we're going to have strong enough faith to experience that. And we do that as we think right, think in line with your word. And we give you thanks and praise. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.